Welcome back to the flip side. Daniel Clavio here along with Brian Moritz on the the very eve of the NCAA title game. We, we even moved the start of the podcast back slightly, which we wasted most of that try, time trying to get my recorder working. But Brian, great to have you uh, with me again. How are you doing today? It's great to be here. Um, big big game tonight. It was a big weekend. We did. I, got, I completed half of my homework assignment because I'm an, I'm an achiever. Uh, and, and, yeah. worked, and worked ahead. And uh, so if you listen to last week, you, re- you remember Galen giving me some cooking and drinking homework because he's a good yes. professor. And <laughs> I made the uh, I made the uh, the the pulled pork, the, the beer braised pork recipe that you had sent me afterward. And it was truly outstanding. It yes, was absolutely. Far better than anything in the slow cooker. Well worth the uh, the smoky kitchen after we got it to five hundred degrees and we're we're setting <laughs> yeah, we're setting. I, the- I, I didn't want to tell you about that part because I figured <laughs> you might be chased off by it. My poor yes. wife asked like, "How long is it going to take?" I said about three hours, and she looked at the oven and saw the smoke. She's like, 500 degrees for three hours? No, we're bringing it down afterward, and it ended up being okay and delicious." But uh, but this is a big episode too. Not only are we talking about my my great cooking, but it's big. The big one too. We have yeah. beaten Cop Rock. We've beaten Cop Rock. What's uh, you know, once once we've gotten to that point, I feel like nothing can stop us from like aiming for. Gosh, what's our next milestone? Oh, that's you know, there's there so many we can think of here. Um, I mean, you know, you think. I mean, obviously, we're, it's still premature to think about like you know out living star trek because star trek i i think ran for 78 episodes i think was the total mm-hmm. um you know but uh and obviously you know you got things like um you know friends ran for a ridiculous amount of time the Simpsons are well the, uh, oh, yeah God, yeah but you know we got we got to kind of we got we got to pick an intermediate point right and be like we're we're gonna aim for that, and that's gonna be our next level. All right. Well, well, since we were given the, this this potential topic by a friend of the podcast, Matt Zimmerman, I'm looking through the Stephen Bochco filmography to see what would be next on the uh, on the obscureness. So let's see. Doogie Hauser was at 51. That could be maybe Doogie Hauser only had only had 51 episodes. Well, that's the only I should say it's the 51 episodes uh, Stephen Bochco was executive producer of. Because okay, it ran it ran probably closer to 100 episodes. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Um, L.A. Law seems LA, like it. Let's see what La Law ran. La Law ran. Yeah, it ran it, had four. That's all. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, that's, that's no, 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 no. It ran 171. Okay, again, these are what Stephen Bochco was. So here we go. Murder One, the TV series. He was an executive producer for 41 episodes, 1995 to 97. Okay, that's our next. Our next. Our next goal is to just murder one. We've proven we're not a flash in the pan. Right. We're not going to get moved to Friday night at nine. So, so, they're not going to. Yeah. They're not going to homicide life on the street. Us. Okay. Right. So now let's go for the for the high quality of murder one uh, to to pass that. So um, hey, you know, I think I think between you and I, we could. We could probably out podcast Daniel Benzali and Stanley Tucci. I mean, like, I really, I feel like we've got it in us. <laughs> I think so. So, uh, so uh, as, as we always do on the uh, on the flip side, what is your uh, beer du jour? Man, I I went all out. Well, first of all, I wanted to tell you, I actually recorded a podcast earlier with Joe Lenardi. Oh, nice. Uh, from, and and actually, I wanted you to know that we were talking about teams that got left out and, and one of my other panelists was lamenting Monmouth not getting in. And Lenardi said on the podcast, he didn't lose any sleep over Monmouth. 
He was much more upset that St. Bonaventure didn't make it into that, the field. He's a good A-10 boy <laughs> representing representing the small Catholic schools. I'm like, I've, uh, met, I've met Joe a lot of times. He's actually, for all the TV-ness and ESPN-ness, you know, you know, if you think of him as a caricature, he's a really, really good guy. Really yeah. good, good person. But anyway, anyway, so I had bought a bottle of Rogue Dead Guy to have during that podcast. But I wanted to step my game up a little uh, because, I mean, I love Rogue Dead Guy, and I, I – it's probably my favorite beer. Like if I really like pound for pound, it's it's uh, it's it's a really really high quality beer. It's like the Roy Jones Jr. of beers. Sure. But uh, for this podcast, I actually went with the Stone Ruination Double IPA, and I went with the uh, basically the one pint six ounces sized bottle. So like I'm holding it up to the camera. This is this is for both the podcast and the game. All right. I'm hoping that it lasts all the way to the game. All right. So, so I am taking a chance here for for episode twelve. This is a big deal. So, um, I'm I, I'm kind of going the opposite route where you went high quality. I'm going not. Um, this is the Langenkugel. This is a liney. Cra- liney. This is a cranberry ginger shandy. Wow. Um, this is I believe. Oh yeah, this is leftover. I think from Christmas. This is the end of the Christmas batch. Um, yeah. So I, I have actually not taken a sip of this yet. I've never tried this beer, so I have a feeling I'm going to be going to the Pepsi after this. But let's see if the uh, cranberry ginger shandy has anything. So compelling podcasting here. This is great. I'm watching this now. He's taking a drink. He's put it down. I got to lose a little grimace there, and he's looking at the bottle in a very questionable manner. He hasn't gone to the Pepsi yet, folks. I'm looking at the facial expressions. <laughs> he's fighting it. He's fighting it closely. He's got a laugh in, but that that laugh is more of a misdirection laugh than yeah. an actual humor laugh. Yeah, this is this is. The, I mean, it, and this is only 4.2 percent. I mean, my Pepsi probably stronger than this beer at this point. 4.2 percent taste. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> This is this, a, uh, this is um, I mean, yeah. This is not good. This is um, I will say, Brian, that, Brian. What were you thinking when you decided to choose this beer for the podcast tonight? Listen, all, I, all I'm going to say is I know more about beer than you guys do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I, you're not at the beer shop every day. I'm at the beer shop every day. <laughs> <laughs> that, that whole thing, we need to talk about that later uh, on. But yeah, no, it's uh, this is actually a great ar- argument for us doing this on Google Hangouts mm-hmm. and then recording the audio and putting that into the podcast. We might have to switch to that format because I, 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 right. I think that's what the people really want at the end of the day. The, is is, they yes, they, they want to see these things. They, they definitely want to see me drinking a cranberry ginger shandy. That's exactly what the world needs. Yes. Um, so really quick, uh, since there is basketball tonight, who you got and why? I knew you were going to ask me this. And, I'm gonna, and yet, here we are. I'm going to end up looking, probably looking foolish. Um, I, I, I have a strange feeling, a positive feeling about Villanova in this game. Okay. They're, they're shooting so well. They're, um, you know, they don't seem scared. They seem to, they're hitting dynamite from three. Um, I think North Carolina is a very good team. I think it's going to be a competitive game. I think there's going to be a lot of back and forth um, I think it's going to be really close. I think, ironically, Villanova's defense is going to be slightly better than North Carolina's, and I think that pushes them over the top, but just barely. So I think, like, I'm going to say, like, 81-79 or something like that, Villanova. Like, a very right. close game. All right. I still think Carolina wins. I think they're the better team. You know, I have kind of proven it overall. Um, you know, I don't think Villanova, you know, I, I kind of feel like they're – that Oklahoma performance was such a once in a whatever performance. 
uh, just in terms of shooting, in terms of, you know, of scoring the basketball, of playing defense on good people. Um, you know, I, I, I think Carolina's more balanced. They're not going to shoot as poorly as they did from three, I don't think, against as they did against Syracuse that, that they did. Um, and if they hit anything, that opens up for those bigs down low, and they're, and they're so good. So I'm going to go Carolina. Uh, let's go 77-68. Okay. With no, with no confidence that I'll remember my prediction by the time the game starts, other than well, I'm predicting Carolina won. We're recording it, so there'll be a record of this. That's true. So. so so, so, the whole Roy Williams thing, you kind of mentioned that in passing. The uh, I, I know more about basketball than you uh, in his press conference. I think it was it was two nights ago, so it would have been after the, uh, the Syracuse game. So what would you think of that? Look, I think... It's interesting to me because the context of it is it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. This idea that you know coaches expect media people to seed um, you know the the high ground from an intellectual perspective uh, in terms of basketball knowledge. And you know, look, we we see this in other things too. And winning does have a tendency to embolden coaches in a way that. Um, that not winning uh, does not, which right. that's the, maybe the stupidest thing I've ever said on a podcast. But I mean, you get the idea. Like, right. and, and look, just because you disagree with a coach philosophically doesn't mean that that coach isn't right. And just because that coach has been doing things for decades uh, in a sport doesn't mean that they're always right. You know, right. Ned Yost is a great example. Like, this is a guy who gets rightly pilloried for making some truly baffling decisions as a baseball manager. Right. And yet yet his team won the World Series last year. And now, went to it the or, year before. Yeah. Now, O'Roy, I mean... <laughs> Maybe has less of an argument than Ned Yost because I mean, Old Roy. This is the first time his teams, I think, been in a Final Four since they won it in in two thousand nine, and this is a guy who can basically pick any five star athlete in the country to come play on his team at Carolina, and yet he's, it's taken him this long to get his teams back uh, to this point, and they've done it. You know, relatively impressively, um, you know, they've got an interesting mix of players. It's certainly a non-traditional kind of older school mix of talent than, than what you're seeing is kind of the the modus operandi of, of basketball teams this day and age, which tend to focus a lot more on guards and exterior play. Um, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'll say this. I think that a lot of the attention that's being paid to this is a bit unnecessary be, you know, people like Pete Tamil had some kind of thing today about how you know Roy's thin-skinned, and that's a thing, and like that—that that was like the big story that he had. Every coach uh, I've ever met is thin-skinned, right? But Roy is special because, and I guess you know, I don't know, and it's not just from Pete; it's from other people. But like, there's this attitude that you know, well, Roy's successful and he's won titles and he spins out this folksy charm, but in reality, he's just as thin-skinned as the rest of them. He's not any different. Well, of course not. Right. It's that's just so. That and the whole like the way that he's reacted when he's been asked about the you know the academic scandal at UNC you know he acts like those questions just shouldn't be asked because he's answered them already well you know that to me is disingenuous because Roy's been to multiple 
final fours over the course of his career. You know, I mean, and he knows how this works. Yes, he's been asked about this a lot by local media. Uh, he hasn't been asked about it that much by the national media. In fact, the national media have basically been hands off with Roy through this entire thing. Right. So the idea that there wouldn't be questions asked about that at this stage uh, is is to me rather silly. And uh, that's you know, look, but but again, this is all the. The, you know the song and dance that we see every year, in my opinion, at least from my observations, when it comes to the way that coaches and the national media interact on this stage. Like nothing, nothing about this is any different from the way Beheim has interacted with the media in the past, or or some other right. coaches have interacted with the media. Shashevsky is another example. Right. Uh, you know, it's like so. Yeah, I I wasn't taken aback by it. I did, wasn't surprised by it, and I certainly didn't think it was that newsworthy. Right. It, well, it's interesting you bring up Beheim because what was great. When Bayheim's gotten into it, I think he got into it with uh, Greg. Uh, was it Greg Doyle? Uh, Doyle a couple years ago with Cats. He's gotten into it recently in the national stage, and it's just funny when that when, when you see the national guys kind of freak out over that. When like anybody who's covered Bayheim in locally said, "Well, yeah, that's that's the Bayheim we know. He's one of those clo- coaches who definitely has the national persona." And the lo- and how he handles the local media, and that's very very pronounced with with Beheim. What struck me about the the Roy Williams thing was, um, I mean, I had kind of a negative reaction to it. Um, I think more than you. And what bothered me about it, I mean, I I thought about it in relation to what we were talking about a few a couple episodes ago when we talked about how reporters should be experts in their sport and should be kind of, you know, should be you know very good and very knowledgeable about their sports. And a couple of things struck me. One. You know, I read the whole line about how how many we had ninety eight practices this year. How many you been? He pointed to another guy. How many you been? First thing I did was went to the UNC media guide and went to their media availability page, and their practices are closed. <laughs> so no, I know. So so it's like you know, for one, it's a double edged double thing for me because one. You know, you're going to criticize the media for not knowing as much about basketball as you do. And okay, I will admit Roy Williams knows more about ba- knows a lot about basketball. Of course he does. He's a successful coach and he's won national championships and he's very good at what he does. But the whole I know more about basketball than you and then you well, yeah, you limit ac- my access as a reporter to practice, so I can't come watch Ed every day. You limit how much I can talk to you, to how much I can talk to your assistants, how much I can talk to your players. So you're limiting the amount that I can learn by talking to people and then criticizing my supposed lack of knowledge. Also, the other thing that I, that, that I noticed in that was the, I don't ever want, you know, I don't criticize anybody you know, that kind of the walk a mile in your shoes. I think he quoted Bill Guthridge or something like that. Uh-huh. Who's you know, da, 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 you know I, I don't <laughs> Bill want Guthridge who, who didn't deserve the job that he was handed. Bill, but anyway, that's right, another story. Right. But, 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 you know, quoting, you know, you know, I don't, you know, basically don't judge a man to, you know, I think he quoted both uh, Bill Guthridge and to kill a mockingbird in the same line, but you it know, was the, effective. Yeah. But it's the, but it's, but it's the, well, okay. But you're also saying that you know how to be a reporter better than I do. At this point. Sure. So, um, I don't know. You know, I it's, didn't think it was it was over the top. You know, the, everyone calling it this epic rant. Like that was the most politest rant in the history of rants, if that was one. But yeah, it was overblown. But I also, you know, you know, eh. it's 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 um, you know, it is funny to me because if you think about the way 
that we conceive of these things, you know, people are going to take Roy's side, like not media, but like regular people are going to take Roy's side. Cause like, as Roy, and I show, showing the media, what's what, like, you know, good on you, Roy. The media. Yeah, sure. And that's, and that's fine. I mean, you know, that's part of the game that's involved in this, but I, I you know, I want to float, I guess maybe a controversial, um, perspective out there which is you know what i don't know that watching practice makes you any smarter uh, as a you know i mean it might it might it might give you some insight into what a team is is hoping to do but at the end of the day and this is where i i think it's funny when we deal with with coaches or with ex-coaches who are commentators because they're always like, you know, well, you've never coached or you've never played or the, these things. And, and, and they always point to practice or like, well, this was supposed to happen or this is what they're trying to do. And to me, the, the great thing about sports is that the only thing that really matters is what happens on the playing surface mm-hmm. and all of the stuff that you meant to have happen doesn't matter. And, and anything that happens on the playing surface is frankly pretty easy to observe. It's pretty easy to analyze as long as you have a working knowledge of the game. And then at that point, it no longer belongs to the coach who had an idea of what they were planning on doing. All that matters is how did things actually go and what sorts of analysis can we provide from watching that. And so when I when I hear Roy talking about, well, you haven't been to practice, who cares? Like, it doesn't matter what you do in practice. And frankly, I, I don't look at... Uh, yeah, I, I respect Jay Billis. I think Jay Billis is an excellent commentator. Mm-hmm. I don't look at Jay Billis and say, that guy gets to go in to, and watch practices, therefore he knows a lot more about what's going on in the game. Yeah. He, he, he knows what they're hoping to do, but mm-hmm. we can all see what's actually happening right. game to game. And right. that's, that, that, to me, always gets lost in the shuffle of of how these things are evaluated. I think the same thing with football. You know, I mean, you know, football coaches want to close practice. Fine. Right. You're going to be judged by what happens on the field. Don't then turn around and act like the people that are observing it, who have seen these things don't know what they're talking about. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I've, you know, I've been to enough basketball practices and hockey practices and, you know, it's, you know, it's practice. They're running drills. They're running plays that they're hoping to run, and that it falls apart when the team throws his own defense at them, and they weren't expecting it. So, yeah. um, no, 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 no writer, <laughs> no writer that's worth anything is like, you know, that article that was printed. That wasn't what I what I was hoping to do. Like what you know, really, I, right. I you know, when I was working on writing this article, you know, in, in you know, in practice, right. I actually was hoping the words were going to come together differently, and this is what I meant to do. And if you don't understand that, then you don't understand right. Like no. no like if you if you did that, you would be looked upon as an idiot. I was going for a. Nar- I had been working on a narrative lead in pregame, and it's really working right. on that. But the but the defense kind of th- but the defense threw something at me, and I had to go more inverted pyramid. And it just you know right. I, I couldn't get a timeout. I couldn't get I couldn't get my sentences structured the way I wanted to them. And you know, um, yeah. That, so, that that half court shot to end the game like basically <laughs> blew out my entire yeah that's like you would no one cares but right. we're supposed to care because coaches meant to do something else and they're therefore that cha- should change the way that we evaluate the game I don't know yeah so we we, we had a topic suggestion because I know we're we're not super tight on time but I know there's a game starting that we want to give our attention to um before we get to that, let's call you're talking about the one from uh from our friend Matt yes or uh, yeah. let's let's hold that till the end because okay. there's uh, because, but there was another thing that I mentioned earlier today on Twitter that you responded to that yes. I think would be a good yes. topic to so, talk about, which is 
Go ahead. No, I was going to say I didn't. Was there a specific thing that happened today that I missed? Because we were, I responded to your tweets about it, but I didn't see anything big today. I was in the classroom yes. all day. Okay. So, uh, so I'll give everybody the preface first before I get to the actual topic. So, yesterday, I think it was yesterday, or maybe it was two days ago. There was a story broke that Abby Wambach, uh, the the U.S. Women's National Rochester, Team, Rochester's own Abby Wambach, did not know she was from Rochester, yeah. but. Uh, she was arrested in Portland and charged with with a DUI, mm-hmm. and she, you know, she released, uh, you know, a, a mea culpa, and it was, you know, it was a, for as far as DUI apologies go, uh, it was actually a, a a pretty straightforward and I take resp- uh, full responsibility I, for my actions. Yeah. I hope not to repeat it again. Right, basically, end uh, of story. So that happened. Well, basically, end of story. But then. Yesterday, or maybe it was might have been early this morning, but I think it was yesterday. Um, a couple of men's national team players started uh, tweeting some rather negative things about Avi Wambach. Um, so, you know, one of them, I believe, was it was either Alejandro Bedoya or Omar Gonzalez. I, I don't remember which one at this point. Um, but uh, Josie Altador also jumped in, and part of it, uh, I think, most of it, really. Uh, stretched back to Abby Wambach's comments in the past regarding non-native-born U.S. national team players and whether or not they belong on the team. And it was actually it was Alejandro Bedoya. Um, so there was a tweet from Fox Soccer said, former U.S. women's national team star Abby Wambach arrested on suspicion of DUI in Portland. Bedoya tweets at Fox Soccer, must have been a foreign American player's fault. Dot, dot, dot. Um, and then um, <laughs> Josie Altador responds to Bedoya, should have used one of the team vans, LOL, which is a reference to the Hope Solo thing, uh, okay. where yep. her husband was arrested for DUI in 2015 driving one of the team vans. So with Jeremy Stevens, the NFL mm-hmm. tight end, uh, former tight end. And people were calling Bedoya out about this, and Bedoya tweeted, you know, if you can dish out criticism like make xenophobic comments, then I'm sure you can take criticism also when you mess up. Um, and, you know, so the, all of this goes back to Wombach's comments about people born in Germany or in other, you know, in Mexico who, you know, become capped for U.S. and play for the U.S. men's national team. But anyway, so all that as a preface, I was on, I think it was USA Today, looking at a completely different story. And there was a thing on the side of the screen, it was a, it was a story that said something like, no one looks good in sniping between uh, you know, U.S. national team players. And it was relating to this. Like, mm-hmm. this is a bad thing that uh, you know, Bedoya and Altador are, are tweeting this about Wambach. And it got me thinking. It's like, you know, um, the, the Jim Harbaugh thing with, mm-hmm. uh, with, with Ohio State and with their AD. And, uh, and we, in several other instances that we've seen over the course of the last year or two, when, when you get these sorts of public exchanges on Twitter, it seems like most of the national media immediately jump on that. Well, this is a bad look for everybody. This shouldn't be happening. Like this needs to be dissuaded. We mm-hmm. you know like that's that's the reflexive response that we see when this stuff happens. And it got me thinking, you know, why is that? Like what what exactly? Why would that be the reflexive response? That okay, here's here's some beef between two parties. They're public parties, mm-hmm. and 
it's obviously something that attracts a lot of attention. Uh, even something, even something stupid like this, you know, swaggy P D'Angelo Russell thing. Right. Uh, you know, it's a similar sort of deal to some degree and it's the same sort of response. It's like, well, this is, this is not seemly. Like this is something that should be avoided. Like this sort of back and forth in social media. And I don't see where that comes from, Brian. Like, I don't understand. I, okay, the naive me doesn't understand where that comes from. Cynical me understands perfectly where it comes from, but I wanted to get your take on it. So my my my, my only response on that is my 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 instinct would be like the the kind of reflexive response of nobody looks good on this. You know, part of me, and this might be on your cynical side too, is the well, we're not the conduit to this anymore, so everyone looks bad. Like if it's Billy Martin and Reggie Jackson from an old era sniping at each other through reporters in the New York Post and the Daily News, that's kind of classic tabloid war baseball journalism. Whereas we get now, you know, you know, at, you know, guys yelling at Abby Wambach and you know, you know, the Jim Harbaugh Ohio State thing kind of going back and forth, and they're doing it themselves on Twitter instead of going through the reporters. Well, then it's a bad look. You know, you're not, we're, we're, we're not, you're not using the traditional mouthpieces, you know, traditional, not mouthpieces, that's the wrong term, I apologize, the traditional organs, uh, conduits. Uh, but that's the only thing I can think of on that. You know, I don't, you know, I don't know if there's a reflexivity against social media, like, you know, if they were kind of arguing to each other or like arguing like in press conferences, um, you know, when Patrick Waugh was calling out the, the, the Red Wings and saying, well, I couldn't hear him because my Stanley Cup rings were in my ears. You know, if he had called it, it, was that in a bad look or was that awesome copy? I mean, to me, that's awesome copy. That's fantastic. You know, Dino Cicerelli, I can't believe I shook that guy's friggin' hand. The best sound, one of the best quotes in hockey history. You know, if he, is it, do they, if he says that on Twitter, does that become, ooh, bad look? So I don't know. What's your cynical side say? No, that's basically what it is. Okay. It's, a, it's this idea that here we have a something that really is interesting to people and you know i don't think you can make the argument now uh, after after capitalizing on these sorts of things uh for decades leading up to this of oh well the you know um you know prominent people in the sports world shouldn't be going at each other um you know like one of the most for the, in the 90s one of the most played clips was that you know famous clip of John Cheney bursting oh, in killing, to, to John Calipari. Let me see you. I'm going to kick your ass. Like right. that. That 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 whole clip is outstanding. Right. Now, if that had happened on Twitter, then you know, then there's no foot. There may be footage to show, but it's just a bunch of of clips. Uh, and and there, you know, and there's a lot less. Um, there's a lot less juice in it for the actual media. And and I guess I look at it and I say. There's nothing wrong with this. I don't. I don't see anything inherently bad. It's certainly no different than anything that we've seen in sports in any sport in the past. And the idea that somehow it's a bad look, uh, I, I don't. I don't get where that comes from because this is this is ideally what you want. Now, could, you know, are you going to make the argument that well, it's bad when national team members are sniping at each other? For God's sake, the women just sued the U.S. Soccer Federation because they weren't getting paid as much as the men. I mean, to to some degree. They're not on the same team. I mean, they may wear the same uniforms, but the idea that they're somehow like you know tied together uh, and and you know impossible to to disbundle, I don't I don't think that that's the case at all. And so I don't know. I just I think that 
it's there seems to be that reflexive attitude, like you said, because there's a desire to keep those sorts of things within the news cycle. Right. But there and, doesn't seem to be a realization that there isn't really a news cycle anymore. Right. That it just kind of happens. Right. And also, it's in a weird way, like, like you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it's kind of a jerk move to be calling out Abby Wambach on that, especially when something this serious and something that she, you know, has, you know, taken responsibility for. It's a bit of a jerk move. It's funny, but it's a bit of a jerk move. And it's not, you know, but... In terms of, of of offenses, it's really low level. Um, but I feel like also in terms of what the what like USA Today and what the national media are doing here, it's almost like they're able to have their cake and eat it too. You know, you're able to capitalize on this like Twitter beef or whatever without having to do the wow without having to ha- have the headline of wow sick burn but men US US MNT team members sick burn Abby Wambach or gang up on Abby Wambach or you won't believe what they said or like an upworthy type thing they're able to get the traffic and get the reaction to it by still kind of stepping back and taking this traditional media high ground of whoa everyone looks bad but we're still going to report all this stuff that that you're saying because we want you to click on it so it's almost kind of like a a way to to say to appear above the fray and yet still be kind of get the traffic that the fray brings Right, yeah, it's like, well, this is a terrible look, so let's talk about it for like you know sixteen hundred words. Like, no, it's just, <laughs> don't, 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 don't right. pick, pick, pick a side, you know. Anyway, um, yeah, so that's just wanted to talk about that. I guess maybe last thing, let's let's jump on this Zimmerman yeah, topic so, that he suggested. So, so we had been joking about cop rock, and you know, up 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 through this entire first eleven episodes. Now we're on episode twelve, right. but he wanted us to rank the the series. From Stephen Bochco, the created which, series of Stephen Bochco, yes. Which I and I immediately looked at the list and I was like, I don't even recognize half yeah. of these. Now, now I will say, several of them he's just an executive producer on, and it seems like we can rather safely like not concentrate on those. On some of them, because like he's an executive producer on L.A. Law, and he created that. But but right. Um, but yeah, there's also some that like. Yeah, so I don't, you know, there's an executive producer he was on. Yeah, I don't know. So, so I would say, I would say, if we're going to do this right, I think we, I think we limit it to a small number of shows, and of I think I can easily pick the shows out. So let's 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 list them and then rank them. So here's the shows we're going to do. We're going to okay. do obviously NY, NYPD Blue. Hang on, I, I need uh, to be able to write these down. So NYPD Blue, NYPD Blue, mm-hmm. Murder One, which you mentioned earlier on, mm-hmm. LA Law, mm-hmm. Doogie Howser, MD. Okay. And Hill Street Blues. Okay. And I guess let's throw, we can throw Cop Rock in there as well. Right. Well, Cop Rock's uh, so on, on really its own separate plane, yeah, really. I mean, God, I mean that's, that's a different, you know. It exists in a different dimension, basically. So, okay, so we're looking at the, at these six. So, okay, my you want me to give my initial rankings first and then you can go? Yeah, okay, please. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go on. Now, there's only one of these shows that I've actually watched more than one episode of. Um, really? Yeah. Um, well, wow. I shouldn't say that. I think I've seen two. Uh, I don't know, but that I can remember. So number the number one show, obvious, is Hill Street Blues to me. I mean, that's a no brainer, runaway. One of the you know mo- you know any TV critic I res- you res- who has any kind of you know cachet considers it not only one of the best but one of the most influential shows of the last kind of thirty years. Really, kind of started setting the tone for a lot of the 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 things we see in drama now. Uh, the kind of hour-long, several storylines going, kind of interweaving back and forth, the kind of mix of comedy and drama. Um, 
I was reading – while we, oh, I actually had to do show prep for this show. Thanks, Matt. But um, I was reading uh, – and somebody had written – Alan Suppenwall, critic who has written a lot about Hill Street Blues, said that it's one of those shows that's so set – a temp- it's kind of so set what we understand now about TV that if you go back and watch it now, it seems so cliche-ridden. But that's the one that set all the – that like made it, it – it, crea- it created the cliche. It created the cliche, yeah. So, okay, Hill Street Blues number one. I'm going to go off board here on my number two, and I'm going to say Doogie Howser, MD, at number two. Wow. Um, you know, probably showing a little generational bias, you know, as a, as a show I watched growing up, and uh, I'm more partial to comedies. But also, here's here's one of my things, is that it has the lasting kind of cultural reference point. When you see someone young and who is really accomplished, like obscenely accomplished, he's a Doogie Howser. Okay. Okay, I'm going okay. I'm, I'm sticking with that. Um, oh, wait, that's fine. Okay, so so Hill Street Blues 1, Doogie Howser 2, uh, probably go NYPD Blue 3. Wasn't a huge fan of it, but the longest lasting of the three, obviously, very iconic show from the 90s with uh, Sipowitz and David Caruso and Jimmy, almost said Jimmy Fallon. Smith. Jimmy Smith. Um, uh, number four, let's go, let's go La La at number four. And uh, a show that was way always on way past my bedtime, so I never really watched it. But I know it's super popular, super well received. Uh, and then number five, Murder One, since we're putting Cop Rock on that separate plane. So, so that's that's my ranking: Hill Street Blues, Doogie Howser, NYPD Blue, La La, and Murder One. Hmm. Okay, so man, I understand. I I've really only I've watched a few episodes of Hill Street Blues, maybe a couple of NYPD Blue and Doogie Howser, and that's it. So See, Anna, I've watched most of all of these. Um, I, I would, L.A. Law was not my cup of tea. Now I, I'll say that it was not my cup of tea when I was like twelve, and so I really should probably go back and watch it again Cause 80s uh, because eighty shows really age well. Is the thing? Well, well, it's the thing. The thing of it is, it's like I'm, when I was a kid growing up, like. I, I, now that I think back, I, I watched a lot of like adult themed shows that were on network TV that <laughs> that I'm guessing a lot of people in my age bracket did not. Like my parents would religiously watch Dallas uh, when I was like six and seven, and I can I can clearly remember sitting up at night at like Friday at nine and watching Dallas. They didn't watch Dynasty; they hated Dynasty for some reason, and they didn't watch like Knott's Landing or or, or any of those. But but they watched Dallas. Um, and you know, and LA law was one, one of those, it was just like, it was too old for me at that particular point in my life. Now I didn't watch Hill street blues until the late nineties, but what, what they did was they put it on TV land and they ran the whole series from beginning to end. And so I, I didn't, I really didn't see any Hill street blues when I was that age, but I, I saw them when I was in college. Like I used to come home and my dad would tape all of them and we would sit there and watch them. So that was cool. Um, but it was like, I agree. I think, I think Hill street blues is probably the best because it just created so many, so many things that we came to know, you know, from not just drama, but also cop shows Mm -hmm. and great cast, iconic cast. It lost momentum. Yeah. Like most shows do. But I think the nice thing about it is it, it lost momentum and then it kind of just stopped as opposed to NYPD blue, which started good lost momentum after about the fourth season and then never really truly recovered and it was just kind of on right um doogie hauser i don't even think was the best like teen oriented show of that era like i would i i, I agree with you but it's not the only one on my list so i'm right yeah, i know but I, 
but I, I, it's hard for me to rank it that. It, it like, I don't know. It that's a show that doesn't age well for me. Like I, I'm, I'm with you on on what you're thinking on it, and it's like, like it does, it does have some cultural cachet, but it doesn't quite do it for me. Okay. Uh, long term, Murder One was was not terribly engaging. Uh, it, it was an interesting premise. It started off fairly well, and well, well, I, I think they just had. I don't remember that. I, I vague, have a vague recollection of its existence. What was the premise I, of it? The, the the premise of it it was basically uh, I think and I don't I I could be wrong on this but I believe they got the idea from the OJ Simpson case and 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 how and and how like popular that OJ Simpson case was in cultural like in the in the cultural relevance of the time and so they the the idea was they were going to do a whole season which just focused on one oh right case. yes. And so, and so, you know, they had this whole, the whole first season was this one case and I just think they had the wrong lead. Okay. Like, I, I, like, I just think that the, the lead actor, um, Daniel, was just Daniel Benzali, Daniel Benzali. Like yeah. he, he just, he, he was a good actor, but he just wasn't, he wasn't engaging enough as a lead to really carry that sort of thing. And, and I think that was the biggest downfall of the show. Like, honestly, if they'd had, you know, if they had David Caruso or somebody in that role, like someone who just was like more interesting to watch, I think that show would have been a lot better. I mean, they had Jason Gedrick as like the 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 character lead in that. Like he was the guy who was St- accused of murder Stanley for the first Tuc- episode. Stanley Tucci was in it. Yeah. Was the, so there, uh, I mean, they had they had good people in it. It just it just didn't really click. Okay. Um. So. And then, yeah, we mentioned Cop Rock is on a different planet, but that would be my that would right. I don't, my ranking on that. Then I guess would be, um, you know, having not gone back and watched LA Law, but I would still I put Hill Street Blues one, NYPD Blue two, and then I guess I would probably have I guess Dirty Houser <laughs> is third, I guess you know, but that's kind right. of a weak third, right? So I think TV is a we haven't talked a lot of TV. I think we I think that's a fertile area for us. Kind of going for it. I don't get the sense you're a huge TV guy. I'm trying to get back into it. I'll be honest. Like I, there were two shows I just adored in the late '90s that I watched religiously. One of them was Homicide: Life on the Street. Like that was that I was loved that show. Loved everything about it. it. Was 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 the prototype that produced The Wire. Right. Um, the other one was The X Files. Uh, and you know, and and uh, like both of those shows were like really top notch in my eyes. And when they ended, I, I had to make a decision because I was getting really busy, was working as a broadcaster. And I was like, I have to cut some stuff out. And I cut movies and television out and I kept video games. Okay. And so video games, we could talk about, we can talk about any television, like before the year 2001, we get after that. I kind of struggle okay. with, uh, with some of the aspects, but I'm trying to get back into it. We're we're trying to make our th- way through Mad Men and Game of Thrones is is obviously something we're watching now, and a um, few others I'm trying to pick up on. So yeah, we I'll I'll do some homework on that hopefully over the next few months. All right, and I'll have to do some homework on video games because like my my video game playing tapped out at about Super Tech Mobile. Um, oh wow! Yeah, yeah, it's been yeah, it's been a while. We have a Wii. We and I can tell story. We have a Wii now. Uh, my daughter loves playing Mario on the Wii, but. Um, uh-huh. Kind of, get, kind of getting back into that, so we can we, we can inform each other moving forward as we move from Cop Rock to Murder One in our run here, uh, TV and video games and other stuff that you know rots our brains. Absolutely. By the way, I... by, by the way, speaking of rotting brains, this beer has not gotten any better, but it has not gotten appreciably worse. So, well, that's that's good. I mean, if you can get a beer that's just like you know 
subpar the whole way through, but right. never gets truly bad. You've done okay for I, yourself. I, I, I we, we, we can live with this. Yes. yes. So. Anyway, game's starting, so, so go watch the game. Good can. chatting with you as always, right. and um, we will talk we'll to you guys forward next, to next week. week. Yep, absolutely. We we'll catch you folks on the flip side. So long, everybody. See ya.